Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Chapter 9, Red Pencil. Sneaking Cece up to his room was easy. Getting her to stay there while James got ready for his maths tuition proved harder. Every time he left his room, the monkey opened the door and followed him. In the end, he put her back in the duffel bag with a freddo, zipped it up, and took it down to the front room. Thankfully, the maths lesson flew by without a hitch, probably because James dropped two more freddos into the bag at opportune moments. Dinner took a little more effort. After a quick search online to see if Twitchell's was a real school, which it seemed to be, James spent some time working out how to keep Cece busy. Or at least, how to stop her following him downstairs. She turned her nose up at books, old cuddly toys, Lego, and magnetic construction kits. But when he pulled out some colouring pencils and his old sketch pad, she jumped over to the desk. After letting her draw for a minute, he put away the pencils, wrestling the navy blue from her fingers. Wait a minute, he said, as she clawed the packet in his hands. You can have them back in a minute. I'm just going to wait until dinner's ready. After a few minutes of playful wrestling, well, apart from an enthusiastic bite on his knuckles, when he was slow at picking up a dark green that had fallen onto the floor, he heard his dad call him for dinner. James spread the sketch pad open and emptied the colours over two fresh pages. Be right back, he said, rushing out of the room while Cece grabbed the bright red and started drawing shapes. The smell of garlic told James that it was spaghetti bolognese for dinner before he'd even reached the stairs. He ran down to the kitchen, grabbed a plate and scooped a forkful of spaghetti onto it. Whoa, his dad said, what's the hurry? I'm in the middle of a game, he said. We're playing settlers over chat, me and the old gang. I might make it back up without missing more than a turn. But I know they're going to put the robber on me. We shouldn't rush dinner. His mum was already at the table. Tuesdays was a home working day for her, so she was around to eat with them. At least until an urgent work call needed attending. I found another school we should think about, James said, ladling sauce on top of the pasta. It's called Twitchell's. Got a great website. You found it, his mum said. You spent your own time looking. I heard about it from a man at school. James took a seat next to his mum, then realised he didn't have a fork and jumped up to get one. He's a school inspector, so I bet it's got the best results. A school inspector told you about a boarding school. What did you say it was called? Twitchell's. He caught his mum glancing over at his dad. I got called in as part of this snap Ofsted inspection and got chatting with the inspector. James wanted parmesan cheese, but decided grating would take too long, so started twirling a mass of spaghetti. I've never heard of Twitchell's, have you, Phil? No, his dad said, shaking his head. It's not on our list. But if the inspector says it's good, then I think we should take a look, especially if James is interested too. I am, James said through a mouthful of food. While twirling the fork with one hand, he pulled out the business card that the inspector had given him with the other. Here. He gave it to his mum. She read it closely. School of Unlimited Learning. What do you think that means? James shrugged and kept chewing. Phil? Unlimited Learning sounds modern, his dad said. 
I wonder if it's something from the continent, like Montessori or Steiner. Dunno, James said between chews, might be, but it's top-notch. He loaded his fork again and had it halfway to his mouth, when a patch of golden fur appeared at the doorway behind his dad. Thankfully, his mum was scrutinising the business card as Cece edged into the room, still holding the red colouring pencil. James leapt from his chair, letting his fork clatter onto the plate. I've got to go, he said, rounding the table. I bet it's my turn at Settler's now. He snatched two bananas from the fruit bowl. I'll have fruit for afters. Without waiting for a reply, he scooped the monkey up and bounded back up the stairs to his room. Breathless, he put Cece on his bed and gave her a banana. Then he looked at his desk. The sketchbook pages had been covered with rudimentary writing and a big tangled scribble, which also covered a large patch of wall behind the desk. James groaned. Then he noticed a stray red line which went from the wall scribble down to just above the skirting board, across his wardrobe and back to the wall, before reaching his door. Oh no! He started out of his room, then paused, gave Cece the second banana to keep her busy, and checked the landing. The thin red line continued onto the cream-coloured wall outside his room. He followed it, past the bathroom, where it seemed to stop, but did, in fact, skip to the other side and down the stairs. It was only a thin line of colouring pencil, but there was no way that his parents wouldn't notice. He grabbed a wad of toilet paper from the bathroom, wet it under the tap, and frantically rubbed at the line. To his relief, it came off easily, but the toilet roll disintegrated as he rubbed, leaving a mess on the wall. He went back into the bathroom, found a flannel, ran it under the tap, and got to work. Four minutes later, there was a line of damp that ran along the wall at knee height from the kitchen to his room. With any luck, it would dry before his parents finished their dinner. James also scrubbed the wall behind his desk and vowed never to let Cece out of his sight again. He was tempted to put the colouring pencils away, but ended up setting the monkey up on his bed while he tried to find out as much about St Bart's Church as he could, which was not much as he spent more time drawing with Cece as he did researching. The monkey was pretty good at copying whatever he drew. After popping downstairs to say goodnight to his parents, James kept to his normal routine and brushed his teeth and went to his room, where he changed into warm clothes, packed his bag, stuck a spare blanket under his duvet, just in case, and waited until he heard his parents finish clearing up after dinner. The long beep from the dishwasher was his cue to leave. Come on, Cece. Time to see a pigeon. He picked up the monkey and slowly opened the door. TV noises drifted up the stairs. His parents were probably both on their laptops, but they liked to have something on in the background. The only danger was if one of them went to the bathroom. James's socks were silent on the polished floorboards. He took the stairs carefully, skipping the third from the top and the second from the bottom, as they were the creakers. On the last step he waited and listened. Then, with Cece clutched to his chest, he crossed the hall to the front porch. He didn't let go of the monkey while he pulled his coat on, but she didn't seem to mind being held. His winter jacket had a big netting pocket on the inside for skiing gloves. He pulled his red woolen hat out and put it on, and eased Cece into the pocket. She fit perfectly, as long as he didn't do his zip-up, and with both arms free, he eased the front door open and slipped out into the cold night air. 
Minutes later, he was at the bottom of his road where Jenny was waiting. They took the longer route into town, down the hill past Elf's house. Jenny took out a handful of green leaves. I got these for Cece, she said, handing the leaves to James. Lettuce. It might make up for all the chocolate she's been eating today. Not just chocolate. I gave her bananas for dinner. Human bananas are too sweet for monkeys, Jenny said. Wild bananas are different. She needs vegetables and seeds too. I looked it up. James felt a little bad that he hadn't done some monkey diet research. But he took the leaves, which did not look very appetising to him, and held them inside his jacket. Cece took them and started munching on them happily enough. Jenny looked pleased. I also found an article about St. Bart's Church, she said. It included some pictures of the upper levels. There's a staircase in the front of the building that goes halfway up. Then you cross the balcony for the stairs to the belfry. Well, actually, it's not a belfry, just a small room with a big bell in it. I don't remember there being anything but one huge space, James said. Google Maps showed a few possible entrances other than the main one. You think it'll be open this late? I don't know, Jenny said. There are some choirs that practice there, but I don't know if they'll still be there after ten. The pavement took them under the viaduct and toward Preston Circus. A scraping, rumbling noise vibrated through the air. Cece froze in James's coat. Just a train, he said, going to Lewis up there. He pointed up to the high brick arch above them. The train passed and Cece resumed her leafy feast. From Preston Circus they crossed London Road and turned up past richer sounds. At the next corner they were opposite a dirty multi-storey car park. Behind the car park, and dwarfing it by some margin, was the huge shape of St. Bart's Church. It was a massive Victorian dark-bricked structure, with a simple rectangular footprint and no spire. Towering vertical walls ran parallel to London Road and supported a tiled roof, producing a cavernous space inside. James had once tried to estimate how many bricks it was made of while sitting on a bench with his dad. Their conclusion was that there were a lot. They walked along the length of the church. James pointed out one of the doors that he'd found online. It was a graffiti-covered, solid wooden door set into the brick with no handle on the outside. Probably a fire door. They kept moving past it. No light emanated from any of the tall windows high up on the massive walls. Rounding the buttress on the southeast corner, they discovered the big wooden front door was closed. James tried it. Locked. The front side of the church was much shorter than the length, and well lit by street lights. Its main feature was a massive round leaded window two-thirds of the way up. There was also a single-storey annex built to the left side that had another door. Again, closed and locked. What next? James said. Glad you could make it! Zen stepped out from the shadows by the door, his pike held loosely by his side. This place gives me the creeps! Yeah, me too. Bobby joined him, a blue plastic cricket bat under his arm. Big scary building. Notel jumped from a nearby tree onto Jenny's shoulder. You guys never mind being in the dark scary sewers, James said. That's different, Bobby said. They go downwards, not up. You don't perchance know a way into the church, Jenny asked. The way up from the sewers takes you to a back room filled with big old capes and hats, Zen said. And it's all locked up. We checked. The vestry, Jenny said, behind the altar at the far end. 
There must be another way in. Both these doors are locked, with modern-looking locks. Let's not stand round here, James said, glancing around. I don't want to be seen. They went back around the corner to the east wall. James took out a torch and shone it along the bricks. Halfway along, he found something. Look, he said, pointing to three claw marks scratched onto a brick at waist height. You think the badger stone on our wristbands will open it? Jenny tried hers, and then James tried his, but it didn't work. Here, Jenny said, with a finger on the brick under the scratch claw marks. There's a hole right underneath. I think it is a door, but we'd need the triple M key to unlock it. James kicked himself again for losing the keys. They made it all the way back to near the north corner, where the graffiti door was. Cece was captivated by the torch, her head following it wherever James pointed it. In the end, he gave it to her to hold. She swung it around wildly, like she was using a lightsaber. Could this lead to the vestry? James asked, giving the door a tentative shove. It didn't budge. Where we were, there was only one door, Zen said. And it wasn't of this shape. It was smaller. James sighed. Jenny was checking the bricks around the door. Cece was still swinging the torch around. Then she stopped and pressed the torch back into James's hand before leaping out of his coat and onto the brick wall. James shone the torch on the monkey, who proceeded to scale the wall with incredible speed, soon becoming a small golden dot in James's torchlight. Where's she going? Jenny said. But no sooner had she asked the question than it was answered. The golden dot disappeared into an intricate piece of stonework. What a climber, Zen said. Not to say that a rat could ne'er made it a cos. Everyone was still looking upward when there was a squeak of metal and the graffiti door swung open with Cece hanging from the pushbar on the other side. Great work, Cece, James said. Everyone agreed and they disappeared into the great brick church.